Father, we just welcome you in this place right now tonight as we begin to worship you and praise you. As we begin to glorify your holy name, Father, I pray that you would make a habitation of our praise. That you would inhabit the praises of your people tonight. As we glorify your name, come and be with us, Father. Grace us with your presence. The sun to rise, and you lay it down to rest. You hold this heart of mine, and you hold my every breath. Such an awesome God. So
rose to life Oh Jesus, Jesus the Son of God Hung on the cross to die But not even So tonight we just take this time to praise your name, to lift you up. Lord, let us not neglect not one moment of our lives to give you the praise that you deserve. We lift your name on high tonight, that you would be exalted in this place, Lord, that we would not, we would not worship and praise based on a feeling, but that we would praise you because of who you are. And you are good all the time. And you are still God, still sovereign, still in control. And you are still worthy of our praise. So you can have it all, Lord. And every part of my world. So take this life and This heart that is now yours Sing it again, you can have it all And you can have it all Every part of my world Every part of my world So take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours And all the joy I found Surrendering my crowns At the feet of the King Peace that 
Tonight, and here's my 
Speak. 
song and one of my favorite reasons to sing this song and to worship the Lord through this song is because in surrender God reveals his character to us and the fact that he's not a dictator where he doesn't force himself on us we have free will right to choose whether we're gonna allow him into our life or not so when we choose to hold back just one part, we are not letting the Creator in. And when the Creator can't come in, then He can't do what He was designed to do in you. And so you can't feel fulfillment, you can't feel forgiven, you can't feel whole from your brokenness, you can't feel peace when you hold back even just a little bit. Because He can't come in and be who He needs to be if you hold back from Him. And so in surrender, we see God's character that he is a good and a loving father. And he desires to give, give good gifts to his children. And he desires to heal us and to take care of us and to uphold us with his righteous right hand and to let us soar on wings like eagles and to give us strength. But if we hold back just one thing from him, we're forfeiting all of that goodness. And I know that I can't make it without his strength and without his goodness in my life. I will not make it without him. So I don't know if that's you tonight. If you just come to the realization that, Lord, I just can't make it without you. I'm done trying in my own strength. I can't do it. I'm not holding anything back. Tonight, God, I choose to open myself up to you, to allow you to come in and be the savior that I need you to be, to be the healer that I need, to be Jehovah, to be Yeshua, to be Yahweh. I need you, Lord, and I can't do it on my own. So I'm surrendering all that I have to you, and I'm opening, opening myself up. I leave my heart open. Open to you Thank you. 
God, I need you. How I need you. 
recognize Lord God that without you we would not have life we would not have purpose we would not have the things that our heart and soul would so greatly desire because you're the very essence of life itself Lord God the scripture says that in you we live and move and have our being without you we don't live so God we simply remind ourselves tonight that we're called to surrender we're called to follow you and that the spirit of God has been given to us as a guide and a teacher to lead us in the path in which we're to go and Holy Spirit you have a purpose tonight we just pray that that purpose be brought forth in this place through each person and in each life we pray in the mighty name of Jesus the name that is above every name the name that still causes demons to tremble the name that still heals the name that still delivers the name that still brings forth life Praise you, Lord God. Let your purpose and plan be brought forth here in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Why don't you just take a couple of moments and maybe just turn and greet somebody. You may have to cross the aisle or go back a couple rows or whatever. Introduce yourself if you don't know them. Amen. Well, glad you're here tonight. This is Wednesday night. It's our prayer meeting, time of worship, a little bit out of the word, and, and I'm glad that you're here. And uh, uh, I just wonder, anybody have a testimony, a short testimony you want to give tonight of something that the Lord's done for you recently? I'm, this is dangerous doing this sometimes, but uh, you know. Just haven't done it in a while. Anybody? The 
Lord's not doing anything to anybody, I guess. I don't know. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? Nope. Okay. Had an urgent need. She prayed. And asked for help and he provided. Okay. Good. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. It's great. Okay. The next uh, four Wednesday nights, I'm going to do uh, a series. Um, I have taught this for years, and I've done it every so often as I feel led to do so. And I went back and looked, and the last time I did it was 13 years ago. Usually I'll do it like every four or five years. And, and I hope you'll understand why. You'll see why. Because it's kind of a self-checkup kind of thing to see where you are spiritually in your walk with God. And we're going to look at uh, four different levels of spiritual growth over the next four Wednesday nights. It won't make it real hard or anything like that. I apologize. I even thought about handing out little outlines for you. But... Uh, you know, in that camera with your phones today, you can take pictures with the slides and stuff like that, you know. so. But I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Um, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about, right before this, he's talking about how Jesus went, um, after he died, he led the captives free that had been bound, without, that couldn't go into heaven, and then he says that God has given, that, that the, God has given gifts to the church, and he begins to talk about uh, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and that uh, for the perfecting of the ministry is what they're talking about, that they're given as a tool to bring about, beginning with verse 13, um, uh, a, a le to bring about maturity in the body of Christ. And this is what it says, until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge and the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, in other words, he's saying, he said, we'll no longer be tossed to and fro. So the idea is that's where most people are right now. And then he says, but they'll, they'll mature and they'll grow. And he said, and instead of falling to deceitful cunningness of 
people's schemes and manipulation and stuff. Instead, we will speak the truth in love and we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So this is the purpose of what God is saying uh, in his word. Uh, that is the goal is for us to grow and mature. So this series is, it, I've t simply titled, I've, I've been teaching this for so many years and usually about every four, five, six years I pull it out because I'll note, I just feel a sense of that and it goes along with some of the things that I've been talking about the last several Sundays um, about understanding what's going on in the world and the culture and, and, and how it's influencing the church and why the church is not having its influence. And uh, so this is where we're at. Uh, I want to read something. I'm going to put it on the screen. I want to read a, a couple of paragraphs by David Ravenhill, okay? And um, here's what he said. He said, we might as well face it. If the church could be compared to an airline, many customers would hesitate to fly. Our standards are low. Our safety record is dismal. We allow almost anyone in the cockpit, whether or not he or she is qualified. And when these pilots are forced to ditch their planes, unfortunately, it's usually the passengers who suffer the most. Some manage to walk away with minor problems. Others join the growing list of victims who never recover from their injuries. And of course he's talking about, he's not talking about airplanes obviously, but he's talking about churches. He's talking about the body of Christ. And he's talking about the fact that, that um, because of the lack of safety standards, the lack of training, the lack of a lot of things, that when things happen and churches crash and burn, if I can put it that way, um, a lot of times the leadership walks away um, unscathed or, or maybe hurt a little bit, but it's the people who are hurt the most. And I, can, I, I know so many people who have been hurt in the church, and that's not an excuse, but they, but they use that as an excuse, and now they're away from the church, away from God, and, and they're carrying that weight and they're carrying that hurt and that pain with them. And, and I've said it before and you've heard other people say it, but hurting people hurt people. And so God doesn't want that. He wants to heal, okay? And so there's, there's two, two arenas um, that this really fall, hits in, in the church. And one is failed leadership. And this is... This is spiritual leaders claiming to be filled with the Spirit that have had to step down due to maybe marital unfaithfulness or financial wrongdoing or some other ethical failure. And we're seeing this more and more and more. Um, I don't know if it's just because of technology and in the instant news that can be out there. I mean, how many of you saw, uh, I think it was yesterday, it was all over the news about a a pastor that confessed to a murder from like 20, 30-something years, 40 years ago. Remember that? Did you see that? Now, that's the headline, okay? What it, what you, they didn't tell you was the guy was 83 years old and dying, and he got that, he wanted to confess that. 
But it made it sound, it was presented in such a way, it sounded like it was a pastor of an active pastor of a church who, who, did, who did this. And, and of course, so what happens is people just fall away. Um, uh, my wife and I, I just give a personal example, my wife and I, who, let me, let me think when, how many years ago that was, long time ago, a uh, long, long time ago. Uh, I think it was in December of 89, maybe when we were in Guatemala, 89, December of 89 and January 1990, I think it was. And um, no, it was earlier than that, wasn't it? Anyway, a long time ago. Um, it was, we were in Guatemala for about two weeks and we were with a missionary there and he was taking us all over the countryside from one day we were at the Pacific Ocean, next day we're 10,000 feet up in the mountains. And I mean, it, it, was, it was an incredible experience of ministry time and, and seeing what God was doing. But it was right about the time, and this is not slandering a name or anything, but it was, it was right about the time that the, um, the, the news hit concerning Jimmy Swagger and his moral failure at that first time. And, and the missionary told us that that impacted so many churches in Guatemala and Central America because they, they had elevated his ministry so high that when it fell, it was like a domino effect and he said probably half the churches down there closed and people walked away and said it's it's a lie it's phony and uh, and again I'm not trying to slander a man or anything like that I'm just saying this is what we saw and he said it had a devastating effect uh, because people you know just said it's not real you know and so um, one of the major mistakes in the church today, the Western church today, has been the exaltation of natural abilities and spiritual gifts at the expense of godly character. Um, I'll give you an example, and I'm going to date myself with this, but I remember many years ago when uh, the musician and singer, writer, and everything he's dead now, Glenn Campbell, first became a Christian. I mean, Christian TV grabbed him and put him center stage on every major event that was going on. And, and it was really a sad thing in a way because he was a baby in the Lord. And I'll never forget, they were signing off a big event. They had all these stars, celebrities, and big name religious people and stuff. And they, they were singing like a medley of Christian songs, old time, songs that almost everybody would have known at that time. And they had him on the stage, and the camera kept zooming in on him, and he knew none of the words. And it was embarrassing. I felt bad for him. I really did. Um, we, we think that somehow because this person is charismatic or this person is well plugged in or got a network of people or whatever, they need to be put in place of leadership. And that is a recipe 
for failure if there's not training and there's not uh, character building and everything else. The second thing is fail, not failed leadership, but failed followers. Because those in the congregation that have failed to understand that God requires us to grow up spiritually. And, and that means in, in character, in, in ourselves. Without character, we ultimately self-destruct, eventually. And so um, God's goal is to develop character in us, okay? So what does that mean? What is character? What is it? The Bible would, would say it's the conformity to the image of Christ. And that's, and that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to grow us up into the image of Christ and that the way that Christ would be, the way he would, the, his compassion, his mercy, the, the way he would reach out to others, the way he would feel, that we would also grow up into that. Now, I know some people will say, well, there's no way I'm ever going to be like Jesus. But that's not a reason not to strive, you know, to go that direction. I mean, we're to reflect Christ uh, in our life. Um, the, the Greek word for character means die. But that's not die like, shot me, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it's the word um, like the, the uh, minting of a coin, a die that is cast and that is pounded out. Um, uh, it, it is, it's the thought of a coinage or copy or like uh, imprinting something um, by, by pressing on it and, and making the template of something. You follow what I'm saying? I'm sure you've probably seen coins being minted, or you've probably seen. Uh, um, I remember I, I, I learned as a kid how to work with. Um, uh, it was like real thin copper, and how to put it over um, a mold, and you'd rub it out, and it would come out to the other side. You know, and and that's the idea. That's the idea of um, the Greek word for character is this minting of this impression of God in our life, okay? So that's what God's trying to do. And, so there's a, and there's a process, and God never, never jumps around this process, okay? I'm gonna, this is kind of laying the groundwork, and I'll go quick through the next part. Um, but God always begins with a calling. He says, follow me. He's not going to force you. He's not going to drag you. He's not going to block you from going the other way. He says, come and follow me. So it always starts with the calling, okay? Then he continues with the conforming. So after the calling, he says, if you're going to follow me, now I'm going to conform you. I'm going to, I'll make you. What did he tell the disciples? He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Up until now, you've been fishermen, but I will make you fishers of men. He said, I'm going to conform you into that which I have for you. So he's calling us. Then he has to make us or form us, conform us. And then only then can he commission us, go into all the world. And it's always in that order. He calls us, he conforms us, and then he sends us. 
And the problem a lot of times is we want shortcuts. We want, you know, how can we get past this? Can we combine some things? Like, call me, send me. And the problem is, if the conforming part, the making part that hasn't been done, then, then it's just going to be a train wreck just waiting to happen, okay? And let me give you three real quick examples in the scripture. Moses. Uh, Moses uh, knew the calling of God. God called him. He told him. He said, I want, what was the calling? To go deliver his people from Egypt, right? Uh, but it wasn't until some 40 years had passed that, that, um, that during which time God was working to conform Moses. See, Moses felt like he was called to be a deliverer, right? But So what's he do? He kills an Egyptian. The word's put out. He runs for his life. He ends up 40 years on the backside of the desert taking care of a bunch of nasty old sheep, right? And then God calls him out of the burning bush and sends him back. He says, now you're ready. There had to be that conforming. There had to be that learning process, whatever it is that God did in his life. Um, John the Baptist uh, is another one. Uh, in fact, in, 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 in Luke 180, it says this. It says, And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. That's in Luke 180. Um, so he, had, he, he was called. I mean, from, from birth, he was called. That calling was there because... His, his father was told by the angel that John was going to be the, the one that goes before the Messiah. And he, but he, he was growing, and it says, and he became strong in the spirit. He lived in the deserts. God was teaching him there, and then God put him forth in the ministry. And the third one is Jesus himself. As a young boy, he knew he had a calling. He knew it was to be about his father's business. But during the ensuing years, what happened? He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. And the Bible says that he grew in favor with God and man. That was his conforming. That was his being trained. That was his bringing up, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 40 says this. Um, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Notice but what it says, it's, it's not just about growing and maturing as, as physically, it's, but he said increasing in wisdom. Um, I know a lot of smart people who have no wisdom. They may have degrees on the wall, but they're not wise. And I know people who don't have a single degree, and they're wiser than any of them. Um, God wants us to learn to be wise. And that, again, comes out of this word. And that's why I was talking about Sunday. We cannot know the will of God, the purpose of God, or anything else without knowing God's word. We grow in that. And so at the age of 30, Jesus was commissioned by his father. Just as growth is a natural part of the biological process, it's an integral part of the spiritual process. And no one would... No one would think that it's natural for a 40-year-old person to be walking around in diapers with a bottle hanging around his neck. We'd, if you saw somebody on the side of the road like that, you'd be calling somebody with the white coats to come and get them, right? I mean, you know, we would ab automatically assume that that's abnormal, not normal. So in, in the same way, 
Anyone who has been a follower of Christ for more than a few years should be progressing in their spiritual walk. I, I remember years ago I was at a church, and um, it, was a, it was a testy time, I can tell you that. And I had a person get in my face and says, says I, I have been a Christian for 40 plus years, and that's longer than you've been alive, and there ain't nothing you can teach me. And I said, you're, you're not a 40-year-old Christian. I said, you're a one-year-old Christian that's lived one-year Christian, one Christianity for, for 40 years. Does that make sense? They didn't understand it, so I just walked off and let them think about it. Uh, I'm sure that it, somebody probably explained it to them later, but my point was that just because calendar goes by doesn't mean you're growing. It doesn't mean that you're maturing, uh, all right? Um, in 3 John 1 and 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, this, I, I've heard this so misused so many times. You know what? People focus on that first part. I pray that you be, may prosper in all things. And they stop there. But it says, and be in health, and they, and they go, yeah. But it says, as your soul prospers. In other words, that God would bless you in, in, in accordance to the growing and blessing and uh, maturing of your spiritual life. And God, because God's not going to give you what you can't handle. And um, a lot of people today want blessings, but they don't understand that both responsibility and accountability go hand in hand with the blessings. Okay? They desire to prosper, but not be, they, don't want, they don't desire to have to grow. They just want the blessing, but they don't want the growing. Okay? Um, many today have the attitude, uh, I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Problem with that is what? We, we just talked about it a couple Sundays ago. The Bible says, it shows the ignorance of their ignorance of the word of God because the Bible says that we're not an island to ourselves. We are a body. We are jointly fit together. And, and remember I said if, 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 uh, one, if one person it was a nose and one person was uh, a leg, you know, the nose would always blow and the leg would always go, you know. I mean, I mean but we're, we're, we're a body. And so we can't have that idea that uh, my life is my life and I'm not hurting anybody and whatever. If you're not growing right, it, it, then the body becomes disfigured. And so it's important for everyone to grow spiritually because it, it directly affects the whole body of Christ, okay? So in Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16, we just read this. I'll go back to it. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, in all things, grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So by speaking the truth, by reading his word, uh, by applying those things, we will grow up into him. We will. Not we might or we can or whatever. He says, and he goes on and says, From him whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament 
grows and holds itself up in love as each part does its own work. And so we're going to be looking in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14 over the next four weeks. And that was just kind of the, the foundation part. We'll get into this next part. It's, it's pretty, it's the, it's the first level, so it's pretty easy. Um, but you will be able to determine where you are in your spiritual walk. You'll identify hindrances to your present growth. You'll be able to put together a plan of action to enable your maturing process. And then you'll be able eventually to help others in their walk with Christ. Is that practical? And that's why I want to do this. Okay, so here we go. We're going to read the scripture. And look what it says. It says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Okay? Verse 13 says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then it goes on and says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Okay? There's... I don't know if you noticed it. I underlined it. There was several times that talked about children, and it talked about young men, and it talked about fathers, okay? But, <clears throat> but we've got to dig a little deeper here for just a few minutes, okay? The first time when it says, I write to you, dear children, it's, it's a Greek word, uh, technion. Uh, you don't have to know all that. It simply means babies. It's the Greek word for babies. I mean, like newborn babies, young babies, okay? That's what you need to understand there. And so um, the second word um, that is used when he says, I write to you little children, seems like it's the same, same thing. But if you look at the Greek word, it's the word... Um, that is used for toddlers. So he says, I write to you children because of this. I write to you little children, but it's not the same. It says little children, but it means toddlers, right? That's natural. Babies grow into toddlers, right? And then he says, I write to you young men, and it's a Greek word that means youth. That could be young men from teens into early 20s or so, somewhere around there, uh, or even more, up to 30, 30 plus. And then he writes fathers, and this is a Greek word that is used for mature adults. So there's four things there, little children, little children, two different groups, okay? Then he says young men, which is youth, not youth like we think youth, but the teenagers. Um, he, he's saying basically young adults. And then he speaks of fathers being mature adults, okay? So we're going to start with level one right here. And, and, and it's this, this verse that we just read, 
that I'm going to put back up on the screen, but it is the level of dependence. It, this, is, this, is, this is the baby. This is a baby. Think of a baby. A brand newborn baby. That baby is totally dependent on somebody taking care of it. Okay? And in fact, it's not part of this lesson, but I'll just throw it out there real, because I mentioned it, I think, Sunday. Um, I know I talked to a few people about it. This has been burning on my heart for several years. And um, uh, the Bible's called the church. Uh, Jesus has called the church. Father's called the church to go out and preach the good news and make disciples. Okay? That's intentional. That doesn't happen just by rubbing shoulders and whatever. I mean, that's fellowship. But discipleship is intentional. And... Um, uh, three times after his resurrection, Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter goes, well, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, what did he say? Feed my sheep, right? And then he says, turns to Peter again. He says, Peter, do you really love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And then like to dig one more time, he goes, Peter, do you love me? And I can imagine Peter, he's like, Lord, I've already told you twice I do. What else do you want from me? And what did Jesus say the third time? Anybody know? He said, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. See, we always think it's feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Go read it. The last time it's feed my lambs. The lambs are the babies. Babies need extra care because they'll die without someone taking care of them. Babies know three or four things. They know how to sleep. They know how to poop. They know how to cry. And they know how to eat. Right? I mean, really. Now, I know some of, you, some of you are going to say, oh, they like to coo and they like that. No, I, I remember those four things more than anything else, okay? The majority of their life at that point is they're either happy or they're crying and they're pooping or they're wet and they're hungry and then they want to sleep. You know, it's like, it's like a cycle. And, um, and so this is a level of dependence, okay? First John 2 and 12. I'm writing to you little children. This is the little children that's babies. It's, it's the word for babies, okay? Because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. So let's look at a couple of characteristics of these babies. First of all, I mentioned they're a newborn baby. They can neither walk, they can't talk. I mean, how many of you had a little baby crying and you can't, nothing will make the baby stop crying and you're thinking, I wish you could talk and tell me what's wrong, right? The babies, they don't know. They don't know how to communicate that. They can't do that. Um, they are aware, the Bible says, that their sins have been forgiven and they are aware that Jesus Christ is their Savior. But other than that, spiritually, they really don't know anything. And I can tell you that when I was a baby Christian, 
I didn't know anything. I, I, I didn't, I mean, there was nobody there to teach me or train me or help me or answer any questions. I basically heard just hold on till Jesus comes. And man, I, sometimes you felt like you were hanging on by your fingernails, you know? And um, uh, so th these spiritual babies, they're totally dependent on other people. They are aware that their sins have been forgiven. Praise God for that. But they really don't understand the depth of what that means. They have no, all I knew was I was changed from the inside out. I don't know how, I didn't even know the term born again. I didn't know any of that stuff, but I know when Christ came into my life. And I knew that I was changed, that he saved me. I didn't even know that term saved. I just knew that, I knew that from a song, oh, what a savior. I mean, I knew that the concept, and that's all I knew, okay? So that's the characteristics of a, of a brand new newborn in the Lord. So what are some of the problems? Uh, the first one is they're tremendously dependent. Again, here's the same thing. It means they're vulnerable. Babies are vulnerable, okay? And they need the protection of a, and spiritually now, of a good shepherd or a proven spiritual mentor. In other words, you can't have newborns mentoring newborns. Because it's the blind leading the blind. And it's just what it is, okay? And so they need the protection of a good shepherd or they need the protection of someone who's proven uh, in their ability to mentor and help bring along. So they're tremendously dependent. The second thing is they are usually very much feeling-oriented. They experience radical ups and downs in their spiritual life. They feel saved one day. The next day they feel like God's turned his back on them. And most of their problems can be solved by pointing them past their feelings to faith. I feel like God forgot me. I remember as a young Christian, I just tell you, uh, uh, as a very young Christian, um, uh, hadn't, missed, hadn't known the Lord very, very long, and my father was transferred from California in the military from California to Montgomery, Alabama. That was like a culture shock. You go from Southern California to the deep South. I didn't even know where Alabama was. I didn't, I didn't know anything was past Texas, you know. I mean, New Florida was over there somewhere, but I didn't know what Mississippi and Alabama was. And, um, uh, but it wasn't long while we were there that we found out there was a Bible bookstore in town. Now, I, we'd never seen that in our town in California. And so they had a Bible bookstore in the city of Montgomery. It was downtown. And so... You had to know that downtown Montgomery, and it's still that way a lot, um, is a lot of uh, one-way streets. And so you had to learn which place, how to get there and everything. But, and, and parking downtown was atrocious at the time. And so I'm talking back, back in the early 70s. And so I remember going to this Bible bookstore and praying.
Lord, give me a parking place right near the Bible bookstore. And God gave me a parking place directly in front of the door. And I shouted. I was so excited. And I went in and looking at all this cool stuff to buy and everything. I remember, James, I bought some chick tracks, man. They only had one or two out at the time, you know. Uh, the first one was, this, this was your life. And then I bought a bunch of those to give away, you know. And so I told my mom and them about it. And she said, well, go down there and get such and such. So I went the next time I went down there and I said, Lord, give me a parking place right in front of the store. And sure enough, there was a parking place right in front of the store. Man, I was so excited. Three times in a row that happened. Three different occasions, God gave me a parking place, right? I mean, like one, two, or three, right in front of the door of the store. So the next time I go down there, like a month goes by, and I go down there, and I said, thank you, Lord, for that parking place right in front of the door again. I just know that you love me, and you've blessed me so many times. And I got down there, and there was no parking place. There was no parking place with it for blocks. And I circled and circled and circled, couldn't find a parking place. And I drove all the way home crying because I thought God had left me. I know you think that's silly. That's the way I felt. Because I, I was at that point in my life. I didn't, I didn't know the word. I, I didn't have faith. I, I, I mean... I had a mustard seed of faith, but I mean, what was that, you know? And so three times God had given me a parking place, and now he hadn't, so he must be mad at me or something. And, and, and I just point that out because spiritual babies are living on their feelings, and that's where they're at. And, and then the third thing is they're not very discerning. They will eat anything and they will follow anybody. And I remember several years ago when I was pastoring in North Louisiana, um, the couple, young couple that were working with the uh, youth in our church had a brand new baby. And I remember um, the baby had just learned to crawl. You know, so it wasn't brand new, but just had just learned to crawl and, and got up and was starting to crawl. And um, anyway, the, the mama put the child down for a moment and uh, went, turned around to talk to somebody. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw that baby darting for something in the corner of the fellowship hall. And there was a big fellowship hall. And he, I saw that baby grab something, and it was brown. That's all I could see. And it was one of them giant wood roaches. It was dead. But that thing was headed for its mouth. And, and I, turned, <laughs> I turned around, and I mean, all I could do was scream at the top of my lungs in the fellowship hall. It echoed like crazy. And um, uh, I called out the mama's name, and I said, Look! And, and she drops everything, runs, picks her up, and trying to get that thing out of the child's hand. But that thing's in, it's, it's, it's in, enmeshed in its hands, and he's determined it's going in his mouth. We laughed about it. It was so funny. She didn't know it was funny. And I said, you know, she was like, somebody needs to clean this place. I said, 
hey, we live out in the woods. I mean, this church was so far out in the woods, it wasn't, it, it was surrounded by paper mill um, trees. That's, I mean, it was just woods. And, and there ain't no way you're getting away from those things, you know. And um, I said, but at least it was dead, you know. And she said, what if he had eaten it? And I said, well, got a little extra fiber in his diet. I don't know, you know. And, um, but I, I tell you that because spiritual babies, they'll eat anything and they'll follow anybody. They have no discerning whatsoever. If, they, if the person they're listening to even just sounds a little spiritual, they're like a follower. They're signed up, I mean, going, going down there, okay? And the, and the next thing is they're often self-centered. In their view, God exists to serve them. Again, Lord, give me a parking place, <laughs> you know? Um, their prayers are usually I-centered. I need this. I want this. I need this. I want this. I need this. And too often they view God as some kind of divine Santa Claus. Really. Um, another thing is they are incapable of reproduction. Okay? Um, they may lead others to Christ maybe or they'll bring someone like the woman at the well. She went to town and what did she do? She said, come and see a man who's told me everything about my life. They may be able to do that. And in some cases, they may be able to say, this is what I did. I don't understand it, but maybe you do it too. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but they are incapable, and when I say they're incapable of reproduction, they're incapable of reproducing a disciple because they're not there yet. Okay? And so a church filled with level one believers may grow in numbers, but maturity is needed for the assembly to become healthy. I can tell you this from personal experience. My wife and I started a church in South Louisiana in 1985, and except for um, maybe two or three families that came with us, and they were babies in the Lord. Um, every single person were brand new converts to Christ, every one. So we had a church, picture this, a nursery of all one-year-olds. The next year, a nursery of all two-year-olds. The third year, a nursery of all three-year-olds. That was our church. And then four-year-olds. And the amazing thing was, in the first couple of years, my wife and I could do no wrong. They worshiped the ground we walked on. But by year three, they knew more than we did. And they started rebelling. You know, you know come on now. You know, you know they're cute when they're toddlers. Come on, come on, come on. When they get to three, no. You know, and four, they're even worse, you know. And, 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 and that's what's, but you know what happened? The church flourished because, man, they were so excited for God. They were going out and getting their friends and their family members. And, I mean, we literally one Sunday doubled. Went from 100, we went from 60 to 120 one Sunday. 
And yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. But again, we all had, ba they were all babies, you know, and I don't know about you. I, I'm not good at babysitting. I'm not good at, at, you know, don't put me in the nursery. You know, I'll go by and wave and smile and kiss them and pat them on the head and hand them off to somebody else. You know, that's just not my thing, you know. Um, uh, so how do you get them to the next level? Let me, let me wrap this up. How do you, you, you have to ask them for, how do they view salvation? Do they see it as a one-time event or do they see it as a process? Do you understand what I'm saying here? In other words, was regeneration more like a pill they took and boom, I had it, you know? Or did they, or did they, do you know that they, had to change their habits along with the prescription of, of taking a gospel pill, <laughs> you know. And so if they see it as a process, they'll grow. But if they see it as a snap your fingers one time, click your heels, I got it kind of thing, they're not going to grow. And they have, to, they have to understand that salvation, yes, is instantaneous. It's, it, we are sanctified, set apart, but there's a sanctification process that continues in that because we're to be made in the image and reflection of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, for example, in the natural, many people uh, that are diagnosed with a health condition, it's, a lot of times it's because of a lifestyle choice, okay? Um, you know, it's like the guy that, you know, keeps breaking an arm or a leg or whatever, but they're, they're living a life that is on the wild side and they're doing reckless stuff, okay? Well, then they're going to keep coming, breaking legs and whatever. You can't, they can't complain about that. Um, if they want to stop breaking arms and legs and whatever, then they have to make a lifestyle choice, right? Um, for example, when I had my, at 39, I had a total hip replacement, and um, my doctor told me that certain things that I love to do, I no longer could do. He said, oh, you can go do them. He said, but if that hip comes apart, I can't put it back together again, because it was total. I mean, it, part of the pelvis is gone, all the way down almost to my knee, and he says, if you break that, if, if separate that, he said, I'm not, I can't put it back together again. So I, I instantly, there were things I knew I, I couldn't do. I, I couldn't snow ski anymore. I couldn't water ski anymore. There were certain uh, sports, like I loved playing racquetball, you know, and stuff. I could do it if it was like three guys or four guys on the court or tennis. I like playing singles. I don't like playing doubles, but I couldn't cover the court. Certain jerking. I just had to make lifestyle choices. And, um, and it's the same thing when salvation comes. We have to make lifestyle choices if we want to grow. Okay? Um, and so to move to the next level, here we go, wrap it up. They must get tired of the playpen. Do they still call them playpens? Yeah. That's, what I, that's all I know they used to call them, right? I mean, they probably got some fancy name for them now. I remember. Um, they have to come to the place where they're willing to risk security to go on with God. In other words, if all they want to do is sit and play and people pat them and pamper them and all that, then they're, they're never going to grow. 
they're never, they're never going to grow. They have to mo want to move on from doing nothing Christianity, okay? The second thing is they must get tired of whining and crying. They, they must begin to believe God instead of belly aching their way through problems. And they must begin to look at things differently instead of just complaining. So they, they've got to get tired of the playpen. They've got to get tired of whining and crying. And, and believe me, it, it, people get tired of people who whine and cry. Right? Come on, be honest. For, we can be compassionate for a while, but after a while, we're, we're going to do one of two things. When we see them coming, we're going to head the other way. Or we're going to eventually just, we're going to get fed up and we're going to just say, grow up. And then they're going to go, Aah! and then, you know, it's just the way it is. The third thing is, they must get tired of being bottle fed. They must learn to get in the word for themselves and stop living on what they get from others. Not that getting stuff from others is wrong. But it can't be their sole source. Okay? They need to move forward with spending time with God in, in, in his word and in prayer. And instead of being dependent on everyone else around them, they must pray before they read and ask God for understanding. Because the Bible says, ask, seek, and knock. It didn't say, ask, seek, and knock on your neighbor who's been doing all that. He said, we're supposed to do that. And then we'd be good, we'd do well to heed to Peter's exhortation in 1 Peter 2 and 2. And it says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The word grow that's used there means to grow, to act grown up. It doesn't mean just get bigger. It means to act grown up. And so this, this is all about attitude and behavior. Whining, crying, being dependent on everybody else, and boo-hooing, the world's against you, that kind of thing. No. You get in the Word, you begin to grow, and all of a sudden your attitude changes and your behavior begins to change. And, and, um, uh, and, and that will take you to the next level, which we'll look at next week. If, one continue, if a person continues at level one after they have moved on, they should have moved on, they will fall into what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, as being carnal-minded. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. And this is the church in Corinth, remember, that was bragging about their spiritual gifts. They were bragging about how spiritual they were. And Paul says, I wanted to get you on solid meat. I wanted you to get, get you past it. He says, I had to give you milk, not even solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And he says, and you're still not ready. Okay? And then he goes on, he says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? In other words, aren't you just acting like the rest of the people in the world? That's what he's saying. So 
we have to look at our lives and say, is that where we're at? What do I need to do to go to the next level? I got to quit whining and crying. I got to quit wanting people to take care of me and pamper me and, and, and all of that. And I've got, I want to get to the place where I can get off the bottle and begin to get some solid food spiritually. Amen? Does this help a little bit? Yeah. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father. Father, you've, you're a good God and you've, you've imparted your spirit into our lives. And, and Jesus told us that when he comes, he will teach you and guide you and direct you in all things concerning him. But Father, the Holy Spirit can only point and direct and guide and teach if we're teachable. So Father, just we ask you to look into our hearts and forgive us if we've been self-centered, forgive us for our selfishness, forgive us for wasting time and energy on things that don't really matter. There's nothing wrong with doing things in this world, enjoying life. But God, you have to be first. And if we spend more time on the things that the world offers us, the enjoyments, if we spend more time with that than we do spending time with you, then our priorities are wrong. So, Father, we just pray tonight, teach us how to realign priorities in our lives, no matter what level we're at, God, because we never graduate from this school, the school of the Spirit, God. We don't graduate until we leave this life, whether it's through the rapture or through death. And we pray, Lord God, grow your church give us a heart to grow so that we can disciple others and help them grow we pray in jesus name amen amen so let's take a few minutes to pray we got some topics that we're going to put up on the screen and um want us to pray together. We've been doing this, uh, the, this is the third week of doing it like this, and that we're in unison in agreement together. And the first one is the spirit of repentance. The Bible says that godly sorrow worketh repentance, brings about repentance. And I, I don't know if I should say it this way, but I have a sense that there's some things about to take place in our world that's going to bring people to their knees. And, and out of that can be the spirit of repentance will come. And so can we just pray right now that 
that spirit of repentance, that conviction of the Holy Ghost would come upon individuals' lives. Father, we just pray. Father, if there's going to be a change in people, if there's going to be a change in our nation, if there's going to be a change, Lord God, in, in the direction of our the culture in which we live, if there's going to be a change in churches, Lord God, if there's going to be a change in families, then, God, there has to be a spirit of repentance. Repentance meaning a change of thinking that brings about a change of action, that our thinking has to be brought into alignment with your word and what you say, God. What you call sin, we cannot make excuse for. We cannot call it something else that is sin. And God, we, we pray for that spirit of repentance to come and convict the soul, convict the heart, convict the mind of individuals, Lord God, that there would be, I, I see people on the street corners out there witnessing, and I see groups of people, large groups of people, suddenly coming under conviction and praying in the Holy, the Holy Ghost just falling, and they begin to pray and cry out to God, Oh, wow, I see that. I, I just, I, I, it just gripped my spirit all of a sudden. I see that, Lord. Let the spirit of repentance come. And Father, I pray that it would fall in churches all across Acadiana and the surrounding area. God, there's more pride in churches than there is out on the streets. We're proud and we think that we've arrived and that, God, we have what it is and that, that what it, what, you know, there's no more. And Father, you you said of the church in, in Revelation, you said you think that you're you're rich and that you're full that you have everything. And he said, but you're blind and poor and naked. Father, that's so much of the way the church is today. And and that God, I mean the people within it. So we just pray for the spirit of repentance to convict our hearts, convict our hearts about our families the time we spend with our families, how we spend our time with our families. God, that we would be convicted about how we behave on the job and in the workplace, Lord God. That, Father, that your spirit would come and move upon us. That when we repent, we would bring ourselves into alignment with you and what your word says, Lord God. We pray this, Lord God, now. Let's pray for a revival. Let's pray for a revival on the local level, national level, and international level. God's breaking out all across the world. There's reports coming in all over the world of what God is doing. And uh, I, I don't know about you. I'm not interested in running someplace else where God is moving. I, I want God moving right here, right where we're living, where our families are and our grandkids are and our friends are and the schools and everything else, Lord. Father, we need revival. We want to see God, heaven sent, heaven breathed revival to come. Father, upon every one of our people, Lord, from the oldest to the youngest, God, it's not long and school's going to be starting up and many of our, our children will be going back into school systems, Lord, that are, that are anything but godly. Father, but let them go back in as a light 
in a place of darkness. That God, that they would be a torch, a blazing torch, Lord God, Father, in, in there and to their peers. And they would begin to speak to them about Jesus and, and what they've learned and what they're growing in. We see our children and our youth, they're growing, Lord, they're maturing in you. Now let God, let them be mighty vessels used for you, Lord. Father, we pray for the spirit of revival to fall, a hunger. There has to be a hunger for it, Lord God. There has to be a hunger that people like, when they, when they leave a di dining table, Lord, and they get up and leave, if they're walking out and they're still hungry, they've not fed, they've, they, they've, not, had, they've not been fed. And Lord, I just pray there's people who are going to, to churches all across our Cadiana area, Lord, week after week after week, and they're going away hungry. They're going away with, a, with an emptiness inside saying, is this all there is? Is there more? Father, that hunger will spur the revival that, God, you have promised to send. You have promised it. You have said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and, and, and for, repent of their sins and seek me, Lord God. God, you said you would heal our land. You would pour out your spirit. This is what we're looking for, Lord. A divine move of your spirit, Lord. Father, I believe there's family members that, that people have written off as being too hard. They're too gone. There's no hope for them. God, there's about to be a breaking out of salvation with the hardest of hearts, Lord. And when that individual comes and, and declares what God has done for them, families are going to be shocked. They're going to be shocked, Lord God, when they see the, the, the transformation of the Spirit of God. Holy Ghost revival. Father, not just locally, but nationally and internationally, break down the borders, Lord God, in the places where they've tried to outlaw Christianity and outlaw the cross and outlaw the Bible. Lord, let there be just a an opening of the heavens above those areas, Lord, and a pouring out of your spirit that they cannot stop it. When the resurrection took place and Jesus came out of the grave, the Bible says that many of the saints also came out of the grave and they went toward the door and testified of the resurrection. Lord, I pray for that kind of happening to begin to take place worldwide. That, Father, that they would not be able to deny the facts and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that would spur revival spur revival lord god we pray in jesus name now lord we pray for local churches and we pray for the leadership in those churches and and and, and unity to be birthed in those churches father i know this that when revival comes there tends to be disruption because there are those from within who want to control and want to have the power 
But Father, I pray that if they cannot unify, that Father, they will diversify and they will, those that, that have a hunger for revival will be united to see the move of God take place. Father, we pray for the pastors and elders and leaders of churches that they would have a hunger, God, that would just pour out of them that Father, that they would get up and instead of just being dry and dead and empty and, and, and speaking somebody else's words, God, the words would just flow out of their spirit and begin to move and, 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 and the words would be alive and bring forth life, Father. Bring forth life in the name of Jesus. Your church is to meant to be light in darkness. God, Father, forgive us for wanting to build kingdoms unto uh, uh, earth, earthly individuals. God, it's your church. You said, I will build my church and the authorities of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, it's your church always will be your church. Help us to remember that, Lord God. And I want us to pray tonight for the Middle East. There are, there are some powerful forces, spiritual forces at work right now in the Middle East, especially in Israel. What's taking place is not, what's being reported is not nearly anywhere's being truth. And, and the media skews things against Israel and against the leadership and things that's going on there. And look, no nation is perfect, that's for sure. But um, this, this is becoming, a, the enemies of Israel see this as an opening for an attack. And the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray, pray for the people, the nation of Israel. And so let's pray for the Middle East right now. Father, we pray for Israel, Lord, at the top of the list. Because God, you said that Israel would be the apple of your eye, Lord God. And so, Father, we pray for them. We pray for the leaders there. We pray for the leaders in, 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 in the Knesset, Lord God. We pray for the leadership of the parties there that must be unified together to work together, Lord God, that they would not be so um, intent on pushing forth their individual agendas that they would open the door and, and allow the enemy to creep in. We, we have already heard that in Iran that, that they're about to test nuclear-capable weapons, Lord God. And Father, they, they've made it clear that their desire is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Lord, we just pray. I just pray that you would confound those plans. Even as in the Old Testament, the, the prophets would declare what the kings, the, the enemies of Israel were about to do. And, and God, you, you would, they would be ambushed. I pray that you would confound the enemies of Israel. Lord, that they would not be able to bring about any destructive harm against that nation, Lord God. Father, we pray right now for the Middle East as a whole. Father, we're seeing Russia being put under tremendous pressure. And, and the leader of that nation, Lord God, 
is, and, and, and Lord, I learned a long time ago, don't back somebody dangerous like that into a corner because then they feel like they has nothing to lose. Father, we, we need people with wisdom and, and, and uh, have a voice for righteousness to speak out, Lord God. We pray for the Arab nations, Lord, that, Father, there would be angelic visitations and, and divine interventions that would begin to take place even there. Father, it's been taking place, but now I pray that it would begin to take place in the higher levels, um, the people of influence, Lord, not just the lower level, but people of influence in those nations would suddenly have uh, Damascus-type experiences like Paul experienced, Lord, where they would have an encounter with the living God and their life would be completely and radically changed and, and, and upturned, Lord. Father, we pray for the European Union and we pray for the UK. Father, the, the, there is such turmoil that is going on right now. There is a, a, a polarization and a splitting that is taking place among the countries there and the leaders there. Father, I just pray for an outpouring of your spirit across those nations. Each one of those nations, Lord God. The churches that sit empty would once again be filled and the bells would begin to ring and people would be, find themselves being drawn to the church. And that, Father, that people who, are been, who have been being trained and discipled uh, um, like in the cave, Lord God, for, for a time such as this would find their way and have influence, Lord, and begin to speak and they would have powerful, impactful speech upon the lives of people there. And Father, there would be an awakening that would sweep across the European Union and the UK, Lord. An awakening of your spirit. An awakening of your spirit, Lord God. Hallelujah. And this last one I want to pray concerning spiritual warfare because right now there is an intense warfare that is going on in, in the churches. And, and I'm telling you, in this area, I've sensed it now for over two months, three months now. I, I remember when I said that we were entering into a new phase, that there was the enemy was bringing a heightened attack. And, and uh, that strongholds and division, secular divisions in, 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 in the church and in the world, in our culture, in our city. I know that during political times, things can get testy. Father, we just pray against the enemy who would try and, and, and bring division and, and bring division among God's people, bring division among our, our town and our city and our towns, Lord God. Father, that there would, that that enemy would, his work would be exposed. Those who, who are working evil works would be exposed. That God, you would expose them in such a way that, that it, it's so blatant that, Father, that people would see it and would know and recognize it for what it is. Father, we're seeing this at the highest level in our nation even now. But, God, I pray in your name we come against those, those strongholds that are, that are trying to hold back the, the righteous, piercing, 
of the word of God at the highest levels. God, through the halls of Congress, through the White, the, uh, the White House, and even the Supreme Court, Lord Father. I just pray right now that there would be just, just a breakthrough. Father, we see, break, we see our states that are splitting, that are being polarized, because there are certain individuals taking righteous stands and others who are against it. Father, we pray that the enemy would be exposed in that and, and that strongholds would be brought down. Bring them down, Lord. Bring them down. Father, by the name of Jesus, we break those strongholds even now. And Father, we come against the spirit of division and divisiveness within your church. Father, that there would be unity. There would be an appreciation for one another. A desire to be fellowshipping with one another, Lord God. And, and, and spending time together and growing in you, Lord. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Let Jesus be Lord of all. Let Jesus be Lord of all. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I speak blessing over each one of these people here tonight. I just pray, Lord God, that God, you would bless them in a special and unique way. Bless their homes. Bless their families. Bless their workplace, their jobs. Pour out blessings so much, Lord, they can't even hold them all. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.